The scriptures we've heard this morning are very clear, very pointed, and bring together an important aspect of what healthy churches, healthy congregations are all about. Let me speak about a shared ministry as you're seated. The number six comes to mind. It did and it does. It did a few days ago when I started thinking about this, and it comes together today. My four-year-old grandson loves to play games, and he loves to beat me, which he often does. And when we play Monopoly, of all things, he loves to play that. The number six seems to be an attractive number for him and, and for me. Especially with two dice in your roll them, everybody knows that's the top score. At least, or unless you're going to jail because that's where you land. But the number six is seen as a lucky number. But it's more than that. There's also the sixth sense. You know, the number six, extrasensory perception. Number six again. Or, I can't help but think about hockey teams. Six players. Five on either side with a man in the goal. Perfect number for that sheet of ice. Oh, then more directly for us. Number six represents the number of days it took God to create the entire universe. Six days he labored. But there was more because, you see, six also represents almost perfect or really imperfect it's an imperfect number because it's less than seven. And those are important days of the entire business as things started. The seventh day, God rested. So six is a sign of imperfection. And number six, it's also number six sermon about healthy churches. And while I could say a lot, and this series could go on and on and on because the Bible says a lot. Today we're wrapping it up around the theme of shared ministry. Sharing. That's an interesting word, especially when you look at a couple of pictures like this. Two little children. You know, that's where sharing gets difficult. Pastor Sean alluded to that with the kids. I didn't see signs of not wanting to share. But, you know, you put two little toddlers in a room and you separate them a little bit and put a toy in the middle. And do you know what you learn? You learn how wars begin. <laughs> because that disposition is innate. It just is in people. And we see it early on. We don't have to teach kids not to share. And sometimes kids don't grow out of that mindset and practice. And they tug from one side to another in a struggle because they don't want to share. It's still not part of their nature to share and share alike. And you can't help but wonder why. Why is that in little kids? Why is that in big kids, even though they're in adult bodies? Because sharing is unnatural. It's not part of how we are now wired. In the beginning was one thing, but as we are now, quite another. Sin has turned us in on ourselves. And if you want another word to describe it, one word would say we are ego egocentric. We're, we're centered on ourselves, what we want. 
what is mine. It's all about us. And so we don't want to share. We want whatever it is for ourselves. That kind of thinking, that kind of action is universal. It is sin at its very core, demonstrated in one way or another. And it shows up. It shows up in the life of a congregation as well. Not all the time, not in every place, but, but sometimes. Because they're still part of our nature. You know, God has given us a new nature in Jesus Christ. But part of that old nature still hangs on. And we're drawn inevitably from time to time to that egocentric kind of behavior of not sharing. And sometimes it's seen in pastors. You know, sometimes it is something that is either taught or innate in a pastor not to share, to do it all himself. In fact, I think some have proven in a personality profile of pastors that they love to be in charge. They, they love to do things because that's my job, to do it all myself. That's what I'm here to do. And if it's going to be done right, whether the thinking is clearly or it's said innate or allowed, if it's going to be done right, I'm the one who has to do it. And the sense of self-importance grows beyond what is to be. And besides, someone can think it makes people happy. It relieves them of things. I'll do it. But the same dynamic is true on your side of the pew. In congregations, it often that temptation takes root because out of bad motives, perhaps, people might say, I can do it, and I can do it all. And there's a sense of self-importance, and I don't need anybody else. I'll go it alone. Or even out of a misplaced good intent, one can begin to think there's not enough help. So I've got to do it. And I've got to do it and it and it and, and almost all of it. The thinking can go. It takes more time sometimes, people say, to try to get help in doing something and share a load than just doing it myself. So that's what I'm going to do. To do it myself approach doesn't give other people an opportunity to share in the ministry of Christ. That's important to understand. It doesn't. It makes me think of a hockey team. It really does. I, I envision a hockey team that illustrates this kind of point of view where the, the stands are full and the players come out onto the ice and it's about time for the puck to drop. But there's only two people and the referees on the ice. And the game begins, and you can imagine how long and how far this game can proceed with one on each side of the ice heading toward the other end to score? Unreal. Unrealistic. That goal has to be shared to score a goal. It takes more than one. By the way, you realize in hockey, someone skates 30 to 45 seconds before he goes or she goes to the bench for rest. There's no way one person can do it all on either side or both sides of the team. It takes a bunch of people, a shared ministry, if you will. It reminds me of what's true across the board in every human organization, or at least 
almost every, where 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. You've heard that? That's often, often the case. Shared ministry is the goal. It's the God-intended way to do his work. It is the right way. Everyone a minister. This was part of the Reformation, and it's an untold story in many ways. Well, you focus on that next week. But where Peter wrote that we're all called to declare the wonderful deeds of our Savior who's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Each and all to whom Peter wrote. It reminds me of a book that came into my possession and into my hearing. Where'd it go? There it is, under the leaves. Everyone a minister. Forty-some years ago, I was introduced to this book, and I love short books. It's power-packed, and it tells the truth of God that it's not the ministry committed to just a few, but it's shared. It's for all of us, you and me and all of us in Christ, to do and to share. Or it's like another Christian congregation I know right even here in town that expresses it with the words, everybody gets to play. Everybody gets to play at the mission because it's a shared mission of God. Not play, but it's important work. And this all relates to the image so prominent, so wonderfully put in the New Testament that we are the body of Christ. Christ is the head. He calls the shots. But it takes many members of the church of his body to function. Each one, not just one or two, but each one, and also in sync, also for the common purpose, but many all for the same goal. That's how it works. It starts in the brain, the head of Christ, but it's used, enacted through the members of the body, all for life and all for health. I think this is illustrated by Jesus right on Easter. You know, the fundamental, the, the big, big event that brings us into relationship with God. On Easter evening, Jesus gathered together with 10 of his disciples. Remember, Judas is out of the picture. Thomas, absent. Those 10 were behind locked doors. They were afraid. They were confused and whatever all else. And Jesus appeared to them. He wanted to show that he was really alive and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whosoever sins you don't forgive, they're not forgiven. And he said it to those 10. But here's the question. Did he give that authority only to 10 men or more? If he gave it only to 10, they have come and they have gone. And now where are we? He gave that to them not as their only representatives, the only people with that ministry, but he gave it to them as believers, people who embraced him and the resurrection. And so in doing so, he did for all of us, give us that authority. You can forgive, I can forgive, and we can, where needed, where necessary, withhold forgiveness. But it's something that we share. It's something that each of us has through our faith connection in Jesus Christ. 
And 40 days later, he drove home the same point when he was about to return home after completing his job. The disciples on the hillside, Jesus, his last words to them. Among those words, it's recorded in Matthew's gospel, the Great Commission. And by the way, there's a lot of Christians, a survey recently showed, don't even know what the Great Commission is. You may not know it by its title, but Jesus said, all authority, heaven and earth has been given to me, but you go. As you're going, make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. He gave it to those 12, but not just to those 12. He gave it to them as disciples, as followers of his, and they shared it with all who would follow Jesus. It became very, very clear as Paul wrote it later, but as an Old Testament example also stands out in mind. You heard about Moses, to be sure. What was read as the first reading today? Did you ever hear about that? Might have slipped by your attention. Moses sat down with Jethro, his father-in-law, and his father-in-law had some advice for him because he observed Moses and his work. And Moses was busy, really, really busy from morning till evening, the whole day, settling disputes, helping those children of Israel sort out right from wrong. Jethro saw that and he said, that's not good. Not the hillbilly of Beverly Hills, Jethro, but his father-in-law put his finger on something important because you see what Moses had done was put himself, his name, in every organizational part of that chart, even though he probably didn't have a chart. Jethro said, that's not good. You're going to kill yourself, my paraphrase. Appoint others. You take the hard cases, the really tough ones, and authorize others to share in that ministry of settling disputes. And it was St. Paul who picked up on that thought, the thought, if not the instance, by God's leading, he wrote in Ephesians, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, now listen, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Paul wrote God's truth that not just those few special with special roles do the ministry, but that they all teach others, all Christians, to do that ministry and do it together. That's illustrated by today's gospel, the familiar feeding of the 5,000. You, you've heard it, you've read it, you know the story. Many aspects of truth to it, but here's one pertinent. It's very pertinent because, you know, Jesus could have fed 5,000 men plus the women and children, what, 15, 20,000 people all by himself. He could have snapped his fingers, whatever, and provided food for each and every one. But what did he do? He involved his disciples. He involved them as they went to get bread and fish from a little boy. Jesus blessed it, and the disciples dispersed it. They got a chance to be in on the miracle, on the ministry that Jesus was sharing that day. 
I remember, well, I remember at least one sermon I once preached, probably 30, 40 years ago. And I titled it something that, that struck others and it first struck me. The title was, Not Needed, But Wanted. Not Needed, But Wanted. Who? Me. I'm not needed by God. You are not needed by God. I mean, God is God. What does he need? That's sobering, isn't it? To know that God doesn't need you. But he wants you. He wants me. And that's an entirely different dynamic. That's a dynamic of his love, of his grace. He chooses to love us. He wants us, and he wants us not just for himself, but for the ministry that he would do today. You are important. An important privilege to work with God, to work as Jesus' hands and feet, as you hear so often said. You're important to God. St. Michael Congregation is important to God. That's why we're here. And by the way, that's why you are here. Do you ever think about this? That you are here, a part of this congregation, for this shared ministry because God put you here. Whatever reason you had to be here is one thing. But behind our reasoning is God's. And his desire is that you are right here and that you be afforded the privilege of sharing the ministry of this congregation. God appointed that to be. So it's not an 80-20 thing where 80% of a congregational work is done by just 20% of us. Our vision, God's vision, our goal is 100-100. 100% of the work is done by 100% of the people. And you say, well, that's unrealistic. But it's a vision. It's the vision of God. It's the calling of God. So that even those who are homebound, uh, shut in, separated by sickness or whatever, they can participate in the ministry. They can pray. They can speak to others as they see them. There's not a person in a congregation who can't participate in the ministry one way or another way. It reminds me of the hymn, Hark the Voice of Jesus Crying. Do you remember that hymn? Some of you will. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus. You can say he died for all. If one person does that, a two or few, the word goes out. But if hundreds do that, can you imagine how the ministry is multiplied? The good news of God in Jesus is multiplied. That's the ministry that's shared in the church of Jesus Christ. Even those who are limited can still connect people to Jesus. That's our goal. That's our motto. So, so share the love of God. Share the ministry that he has given us all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.